Welcome to ATBS, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick, and I am stoked you're here. Today, I'm recording from a geodesic dome, 1960s style, deep in the Santa Cruz Mountains of Northern California, and it is spectacular. My guest today is Kirk Souter. On his LinkedIn page, he states that his professional role, which brings him great joy, is this to guide people and organizations to free themselves from any self-created limitations and barriers and connect them to the deep, authentic energy underneath that fuels them to create the precise experience and positive impact they've always known was theirs. What more do we need to know? Let's jam with Kirk Souter. Kirk, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me in the pod ship this afternoon. Welcome. It is so good to be here, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me here. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. Me as well. I often have these conversations with people that I know, and those are really easy conversations. And And you and I were introduced a handful of weeks ago by a friend, and and then we had one conversation, and now here we are. I think we both acknowledged that that first conversation felt like it was so easy and smooth. It felt like we'd probably known each other for a while. And that those are always, always really enjoyable. So I'm sure we're going to have a good time here. That was my experience as well. It was just like, okay, you know, when we do the podcast, we'll just be, you know, taken up where we left off and, and like, like we do with our friends. So I have the identical experience, Jeff. I appreciate that. I don't know. Podcasting is kind of a weird thing. And I, I mean, I love it. I love the spoken word and a story and a, and a good conversation. And and I've had many people say, geez, Jeff, it's like sitting in the living room, just listening to you have a, have a casual conversation with, with another friend. In many ways, that's a good thing where people can just listen in. And somebody else said, you know, it's, it's nice because I like listening to ATBS, the podcast, because it doesn't raise my blood pressure. Uh, <laughs> I like that as well. And I think also it creates the internal permission to be really authentic because it's just a conversation. And that's really when our true selves emerge. And that's, I think, really what is actually interesting to people. I think that that's a byproduct of what has happened through the whole COVID-19 Zoom world that has become so, quote unquote, normal, that because you're talking to people in their living rooms or in their offices or their dens or their kitchens or somewhere, and we're not on Zoom. We have no video with this. In some ways, I like that more. But it seems like we've become more closely, like we've let some of our guard down where we're not just in the office having the conversation. We're in each other's homes having the conversation. Absolutely. And that's serving a real purpose, I think, because I think the times that we're in are really calling for people, you know, not to act and respond as they should but as their inner spirit is really calling for. And to me, that's always in service to the greatest good. And so it, it may all be serving that purpose, whether it's for this podcast or other things that we are more authentic and real when we're home and comfortable. Agreed. I like to start out sometimes with this question. What's new and good in your world? That's a great question. I think it's kind of related to what I was talking about, which is the world I'm experiencing right now, you know, when I'm turn off the television, when I'm not on CNN or Fox or my social media feeds, et cetera, is a very different one than those places in that, you know, I'm experiencing both through the company I have and my own leadership coaching practice that there's an evolutionary impulse now, whether it's in the halls of business or individuals and leaders to be asking some much bigger questions, you know, in the context of who am I and what am I really here to do in the shadow of COVID, in the shadow of George Floyd, in the shadow of climate? Is it really enough for me to just kind of let my future happen by default? Or is there a way I can design it that is intentional? 
that both serves meaning and aliveness in my life and at the same time in so doing serves some greater good. And I want to acknowledge, of course, the tragedy of those things. I'm not, I'm not trying to jump over that, acknowledging that, but it is that tragedy in a sense that's creating the sniffing salts for our culture and world from a micro level of the individual all the way up to big companies and, and government to ask these questions and as a result, hopefully really fuel kind of a new a new world, like what, you know, the question being asked of is, is this a restart or a reimagining? I think it's pushing a reimagining and I'm experiencing that in terms of the flow of individuals and businesses and you know who are coming forward, you know, to me and to others who really want answers to those questions. Hmm. That is a great answer to what's new and good. <laughs> right. And and I love the smelling salts or the sniffing salts analogy. Like, wake up. Is this our wake up? I think it is. And and while you're talking, I have this big smile on my face. I'm like, yes, I think we're waking up. I think so too. And it's hard for people to kind of join that perspective. And it's not their fault because they're looking at what I regard as kind of these little tiny spotlights in a, in a room of media, you know, which are being paid to get more eyeballs by pointing out the conflict, by pointing out the againstness, the, the nasty thing this person said and the nasty thing this person said. But it's a spotlight. It's not like a room with the lights on. And if we do that, I think we'll see, you know, there's this great book called The Better Angels of Our Nature about what's really happening in the world as it relates to what was happening years ago in history. And there's never been a time of kind of more human well-being. And at the same time, I think these recent tragedies are, are asking, you know, for an even more parabolic trajectory. And it's there. It's just we have to turn off the TV and, or at least put on a different channel and see it. So I'm very hopeful about that. And I think it's very real. And whether it's true to the degree I see it is or not, it still makes sense for me to put my energy in that direction as opposed to the againstness paradigm that we're hopefully moving out of. Agreed. I had this feeling this morning, and I love the fact that you just brought this up, that whether it's the television or however, whatever medium we choose to engage with, and for most of us, probably it's a few, to switch off or to unplug, I think it's an overused phrase because, okay, if we want to go to a cabin in the woods and do a silent meditation retreat and not have anything around us, that, that's one thing. And that's going to happen for some people infrequently. And I really had this feeling last night and this morning for some reason, I guess I'm just dealing with a number of things in my life. Like, you know what? I, oh man, I'm just going to, I need to just set that thing down and not have it be that thing being the phone that has so much information, so easy to get information. You know, let's, let's set that aside a little bit and give some thought to where do I fit in and what can I do? And that exercise has a lot of benefit. Absolutely. There's a quote that most of my work actually starts with, and it's by Howard Thurman, who is, he was kind of a godfather in the civil rights movement. A lot of people don't know about him because his students like Martin Luther King and others were really the ones who went out and created a lot of the cataclysmic change, the beautiful change in the world. But Howard Thurman said to his followers, he said, ask not what the world needs, Ask what brings you alive and go do it, because what the world needs is more people brought alive. The brilliance of that statement to me is, is really it's saying, you know, to know the direction, you really don't need to go to, and I'm using information in quotes, the, you know, all those kind of external sources that inside all of us is this building compass that whatever the creative intelligence is that is in everything, your word of choice or no word, that's fine too. But whatever it's put in us in terms of the experience of feeling lit up when I start to 
move into a certain direction in my vocation or my life, that that is the feedback on, you know, how our particular existence is going to both create a life of joy for us, but also in the end, create the impact we're meant to create. And so we're not missing a lot when we turn off those external things and look inward. We're actually not missing. We're connecting with the one thing that is ultimately the thing that we're here to, to use to, to know how and where to be in this life. And that's our internal compass. Yeah. I think Joseph Campbell is saying the same thing, you know, it's to follow your bliss. And if we do, then innately the good things will happen. Like when he was talking about the mythologies of the world, all pointing to, to this truth. And, you know, I think sometimes our human ego says, oh, I have to watch the news. I have to go through the, my social feeds and everything else to know what's happening and therefore to know what to do. And I understand that, like there's merit to under having the context, but in terms of the true wisdom of why we're here and what we're here to do, that's really coming from a different direction, I think. And the good news is it's something that is built into each of us. It's not something we have to go out and hope for one of the lucky ones who find. It is us. It's what we're made of. <laughs> so I want to pick up on that. The internal compass that we all have one. It's not just the chosen few. Right. And so a couple of thoughts on that as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, the things that come our way, be it through social media or through the news, through the television, however we get those things. I'm thinking of a compass that is having a very difficult time finding true north because there's so much interference. That was the visual while you were talking about, you know, we've got this internal compass and then we've got these external inputs, this information that's coming in, and it seems to throw the compass's ability to find true north, using the analogy, to throw that off. Yeah, it kind of just distracts us from it. It's kind of like, you imagine our consciousness is, is like a, a drum skin, right, on a beautifully tightly wrapped drum. And, you know, we're born with just the beat of the boom of that knowing inside of us, but in the result of having a life, suddenly lots of other little things start to also bounce off the drum skin, you know, a rant on our friend's Facebook feed and the news and so on. And pretty soon there's so many things bouncing off the drum skin. It's not that the beat of that North Star isn't there. It's just that for a little bit, cannot remember enough to distinguish it from all the noise. You know, that's part of the evolution of life where we come to that moment where we say, oh, wait a second, I'm, I'm believing all the noise instead of a much bigger truth, right? And then we return to it. The steady resonance or the steady beat that is there, being reminded, tuning back in a lot of ways to say it, I think, where there are these opportunities and we can create them for ourselves where we do completely unplug and we do tap back into the natural world and the, and the rhythm of the natural world. And that can be really helpful for us to find that settle back in and, and get our internal compass, you know, organized or get back to the steady rhythmic beat of the drum that we know is there. Oh yeah. That, that's of many different kinds of methods we can use. To me, that is the ones we can put the most faith in as is that simply going out into that perfection of creation where we're seeing the result of beings who, have, who that's all they've listened to the oak tree, the sequoia, you know, the badger, whatever, it's all they've listened to and they're perfect. And so to be surrounded by that, you know, we innately begin to resonate in tune with our own, you know, I'm reminded of Cesar Milan's show, you know, the dog whisperer where when he had a, a really challenged dog who had taken on, all the neuroses of his owners, his quickest fix would be instead of training to just throw him into his pack of dogs back at the compound. And within two minutes, 
that dog is perfectly normal. and Unplugged from the human neuroses. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think it's probably the same kind of situation with us of like, when we really want to get in contact with that deeper truth in us to step out of the human neuroses. And I say that without judgment, we're all, you know, it's all something we have to a degree and move through. It's part of the experience of being human and having a brain and an ego. But when we do want to answer to a higher order, find our north, like you said, then there are things we may have to do to accelerate that and simplify that. Thank you for listening to All Things Big and Small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Seems like a, a pretty solid segue to ask you about your professional trajectory or pathway. It seems like you were going along and you were going along in business and then you removed yourself, I think, and went and studied and pursued something that was really meaningful for you. And then you, now you're back in and you know, you're sharing what you learned. Can you expound on that a little bit on that pathway? Absolutely. I want to start real, just a quick flashback just to an important moment, which will come up in it, which is when I was 18, um, I went in to a hospital for what I thought was minor surgery for some calcification from tendonitis. And it turned out to be a large tumor called synovial sarcoma that was of a grade and large enough where one day a couple of doctors walked into my room and said, you know, you've got this synovial sarcoma, it's most likely metastasized, and people with this disease can expect to live 18 to 36 months. It kind of happened that fast. And, you know, while the next five-year odyssey with that had some of the hardest moments in my life, it also, you know, had some of the biggest blessings. And at a very young age, you know, I got, again, we'll use the word, the sniffing salts of mortality and had a touchstone in terms of when am I getting off track in terms of what this has taught me, which is to try and live as many of your moments as you can in a place of, of joy and aliveness in what you're doing, right? And so flash forward many, many years, and I had had a pretty good career as a creative in the advertising and marketing and brand world. I had built and, and sold a company and then had become president and chief creative officer of a much larger company. And, you know, for the first time in my life, driving into work one day, I felt the feeling of dread. And that was not like, <laughs> that was not on my menu from what I had learned, but somewhere I had gotten off track. I had started listening to all those other little pitter patters on the drum, I guess. And I pulled my car aside and, you know, for the first time in a long time, I opened up to kind of a greater intelligence to say, okay, I'm a little lost, to be honest. And, and I could use some guidance in, in getting back. And when I went into my office, the phone rang and I picked it up and it was a, a young cancer patient with my same diagnosis because I had become a peer-to-peer -peer counselor for various institute, cancer institutions. That is, when they'd have a kind of a young person come in with the same disease and who had been down the internet rabbit hole and thought no one survived, that they could connect them with me and we could have a talk and they could hear someone who was alive many, many, many years later and know, you know, there was still hope. So I noticed like, in that time, I was more alive and enjoy in talking to that person than I was in the rest of my weaker life, that my vocation, which had been that for me, was no longer so much that for me. And this other thing that would just pop up, you know, once or twice a week was, and that was a sign to me that it was time to change things. And 
I thought, well, maybe it's about counseling or something like that. Because that's kind of what I'm doing. Maybe it's some other way to help people in the cancer journey. I'm not sure what it is, but I do know it's something different. And to cut a long story short, it to some incredible serendipity, my financial planner was also the CFO of a very experiential and vanguard master's program in spiritual psychology. Something in that compass lit up when I heard about it, read about it. And so I literally dropped everything in business for two years. Didn't know enough consulting to keep food on the table for my wife and two sons, but really jumped into what was a highly experiential program where we brought our own stuff to it uh, in spiritual psychology. And what I thought was to learn counseling turned out really to learn who I am and what I'm really here to do. And I came out of that knowing that it was about somehow being in service and starting to get my eyes on coaching other leaders who like me, maybe reaching that place that I reach. You know, initially I went to Washington though and used my older skills to take part in the Obama for America campaign with their lead agency as creative director. And then later though, would start my current company with co-founder Sebastian Buck called Enso, which helps business and leaders unite with positive impact scale. And my way of doing that is to work individually with high impact leaders in these companies to unite them with the truth that they can occupy a place of high impact, of executive and all those things and not have to compromise in terms of living what brings them alive and being of service, right? And so that's what I really do now. You know, I work with leaders like the global uh, senior vice president of product design in Mattel, helping her unlock her inner purpose and see that manifest in the world. Like her name's Kim Kilmone. She's the one who is responsible for the diversification of the Barbie line, creating Barbies that are disabled, Barbies that teach kids to meditate, the first non-binary doll line so that, you know, boys and girls who don't quite see themselves fitting on that old scale can have something that represents them. So doing some really magical work. So that's kind of what I do now on what I have done for many years. And it fits into this thing that, you know, I said earlier, Jeff, of this evolutionary impulse of so many leaders now who got to that place they always aimed for, only to find that they weren't getting the level of excitement and aliveness and meaning and out of it now want to make that traverse to, you know, an even higher peak where they can be doing all that and living an aliveness and living a purpose that they never had before. I have a big smile on my face and actually a, a big lightness in my heart while you're talking and sharing all that. Oh, that's great. You know, your journey, inspirational. We talked in in our earlier conversation, I'm a cancer survivor, cancer thriver. There's a lot to that, right? Like how we live and how we choose to move forward. And literally in the past 24 hours have been on a pretty deep internal journey, trying to make sense of a few things. And and then to come and, and you know be on this conversation, which I love. Um, thank you for un sharing that, letting people know where you've been and who you are. And so you're doing good work. There's no question, you know, like I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations, in some of those rooms, in some of those coaching sessions, whatever they're called. And then here we are recording, you know, late January, we're eight days beyond the inauguration. And there was an experience there that you and I have talked about. So this isn't coming out of the blue, but I know for me last week on Wednesday, I was watching and I'm a proud American. I was, I was like, oh, I recognize this as something I, in quotation marks familiar, right? Like this looks, this looks familiar. This feels good. This feels familiar. And all of it was going along, you know, really seemingly like, okay, this is, this, this is the way this unfolds. And then Amanda Gorman stepped up on the microphone and I really like changed the whole thing for me. Like, oh, wow, 
that's incredible. Yeah. And I know it, I know it had a great deal of meaning for you. I've talked to a bunch of different people about it. And then I'd love to dive in there a little bit. And it was inspirational for me on so many different levels. You know, one, I'm just a, I'm just a big fan of humans doing what they do and doing it well whatever that might be, right? It could be athletic, it could be public speaking, it could be, you know, it doesn't matter. But when somebody is at the, like really firing on all cylinders, it's an impressive thing to take in, right? And that, when Amanda Gorman stepped up, I was like, oh boy, she is hitting on all cylinders. Yes, yeah. Sit back and, you know, enjoy this because this is good. How did it strike you? I mean, I know we had some conversation about it and we'll dig in here a little bit. Yeah, I, I had an identical experience in that, you know, I was really interested in what Biden had to say. And what I really thought what he did, what was good was to maintain a very kind of neutral and inclusive point of view. There was no like making anybody bad or wrong, but just let's just look towards the future and here's what we're going to do. And, and I thought that was really good. It was like great to have someone up there who instead of trying to point out all the potential, depending on where we fall on things, the potential mishaps of the previous time to just not do that and have open arms. But then when Amanda Gorman got up, the striking difference, it was kind of like, okay, like Biden went into neutrality, but Amanda went into boldly and courageously here's what the future has to look like. We're going to actually, you know, live in a world and a culture that is inhabitable and, and not inhabitable, but can have joy and glory in it, you know? And so this wisdom came out of her one by one, like the, the first one that really hit me where I said, uh-oh, something really new and special is happening now is when, you know, she spoke about the new dawn is ours if we can choose it. And she created a framing when she said, you know, it's a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. From my work with executives, individuals, leaders, and companies, I know that one of the key things that is such an epiphany is when they are able to see the iterations and the struggles and the trials and the failures and the successes, all is this beautiful iterative process that isn't pointing to failure or brokenness, but is pointing to, we're just not finished. We need to, you know, we're in a process of evolution. Let's just take the learning and regard that learning as important as our successes and grow from it. It's such a key principle in our own human growth. There isn't a session I have where that idea doesn't come into play because so often we are ruled by our judgments of ourselves that then limit us because we look at, you know, the little character defaults and so on and these permanent tragedies when they're not. And so when that wisdom emerged from her, I was like, that's coming out of a 22-year-old in this right now. And I suddenly could see that there could be this whole new generation who building on the growth and resolutions of the previous generation is emerging maybe with a lot of this already in their consciousness, you know, because she was not about againstness and pointing a finger, you know, from her, you know, let's lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. It, it was absolutely about inclusiveness to all, you know, even those, even, you know, those on the other side of the political spectrum and the person who was being made president and so on. And, you know, for her to, to kind of end with this incredible wisdom of the new dawn blooms as we free it, for there's always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. That last line, that's really like the wisdom in that is like, that's really how we actually free that dawn. I loved her intentionality. We don't just watch the dawn happen. We're the ones who free it. And we free it by, it starts in us and our own consciousness to not make bridging the divides be about 
you know, like I'm talking to a lot of people and bridging the divides to a lot of people is actually, well, yeah, you know, we'll sit down and we'll talk and listen. And they'll come around to my way of thinking. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm experiencing that on all sides, that that's really what the unconscious expectation is. Whereas what she's saying is that we have to be it. Like we have to ourselves be the bridge and leave those types of expectations. And that's the way we're going to heal. That's the way we're going to free a new dawn. So she really painted a trail for people to follow if they're brave enough. That can really create the world everybody is talking about, but I don't know if everyone has the understanding of what it's going to require. Mm, it's a really interesting observation and reality is that there are a number of different things that fall into that category. I asked a woman yesterday, Lorraine Duvall, who's an author, self-proclaimed feminist. She's in her 80s. I was trying to get some clarity on different waves of feminism historically and presently. What I've learned is the first wave was in the 20s, suffrage and suffragettes and, and women's right to vote. And the second wave was in the 70s and 80s. And I haven't gotten a whole lot of clarity from anybody yet on where we are now. And, and if anybody knows, then just feel free to be in touch. But her comment was almost identical to what you just said, which was, I know there are a lot of people talking about it, but I'm not sure I feel the movement. And, you know, that was in the context of feminism and that was in the context of equality, gender equality. And then what you just said is something similar. Are we aware of what it's going to take? And those are two vastly different things. Yeah, are we aware of what it's going to take, but specifically inside of us. Right. What's my role? Right. You know, I think when Gandhi said, be the change, I think a lot of people took that to mean, he said, be the change you want to see in the world. He took that to mean, you know, go out and act. But what he was really saying, you know, like harkens back to one of his favorite books, the, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, which is really about like, you know, our reality is a projection of what's inside of us. And so if we really want to change reality, we have to start with what is yet unresolved inside of us, you know, and in the only domain that we've really been given domain over, right, which is ourselves. And so I think when you bring that notion up to people, again, I'm talking about all sides of the political spectrum, including, you know, I'll put myself in the category, I guess most would put me as a progressive but I don't know if I 100% align on that, but that I can understand being labeled as such that to bring up to that population that, you know, the first step is actually to look at if you were so triggered by all those things that President Trump was doing that triggering maybe because you're still holding on to some of that yourself. And maybe we need to all kind of start there and let that stuff go and heal that stuff so we can then be the real force for bridging divides we want to be in the world. That's what I mean by are people really aware of what it is going to take? I, you know, I also, I think of the words from the New Testament when Christ says to this issue, before you can reach out and pull the beam out of your brother's eye, you have to first reach into your own eye and pull out the little splinter so that you can really see the beam in, in the side, right? I think that's the key is, can we pull out from our own consciousness the desire to be right, the desire to point a finger and lay blame? Like any being, we have to move through, of course, the period of kind of being angry and purging those things. But I think to answer your first question, what I'm really excited about is the step onto the next rock across the river, which is after the anger and the blame and the gansness comes the, ah, okay, now I'm ready both to listen to you and have you listen to me and for us to appreciate each other and heal and move into something that transcends the polarity we've created that's beautiful, that you know, is the space we have in common. And that can only happen first from letting go of the againstness inside of us. 
Beautifully said. Thank you. From your perspective, if somebody doesn't have an awareness of like, where would I start going inward? You know, where would I start that process? What's your recommendation there? Or, you know, do you have any? First, going back to this metaphor we've been using in this conversation, which I, I'm really loving of the, the drum, you know, is to first, don't worry about these things we've been talking about, about, you know, politics and againstness and blah, blah, blah. But just focus on what are the moments in my life where I feel really connected to joy and to aliveness and to peace and contentment and fulfillment? Like, what am I doing when I am feeling that? And what's the why underneath of that? Like, you know, I'll have people in the very beginning take a journal with some prompts and before we even get started with the real work, look at their life and write down those times where, like I had one where, you know, an executive said, you know, on Sunday I went out for a hike with a group of people and I I really did feel that sense of, as compared to my work week, a sense of peace, of joy, of fulfillment. And then once you got to the second prompt, which is, if it might be true that it's not the outer experience itself, it's the deeper thing that that might be enabling, what might that be? And she came into the idea of connection, that it really wasn't about the hike. It really wasn't. It was about the intimacy and connection with other people that the vehicle of the hike enabled, right? And that got her to a place in terms of looking at her vocation in life and so on as ideally something that facilitates that type of connection in human beings and community building in human beings and is, you know, directing her in a really exciting vocation as there's a lot of different types of things going on in the world where one can be a high impact executive and be facilitating that, right? So we, it's that as a first step. And then inevitably, as we begin to move towards that, what we begin to encounter are our limiting beliefs that we're almost unconscious of, our upper limit problems, the Hendrix call them, where we have a series of beliefs or thoughts that are actually have been keeping us back in that more comfortable but default level. And so we get trained, newly trained now, that whenever we experience something that says can't or something that triggers us or creates a negative experience, that that is not a bad thing. That's a beacon that's pointing to something underneath the water of our consciousness that is a, a belief or judgment we're holding that is actually causing that disturbance of our peace as we go about moving toward this thing in our life and can pull up the string from that beacon and see it and see it for what it is, which is just an arbitrary thought or conditioning I chose to adopt and let it go. And one by one, we begin to clear that. And through alignment of our intention, I have my clients create what's called a living vision, which is a day in their life written in the present tense where they're living the optimum experience they could live if they could have anything, if anything was possible, right? And so armed with that and beginning to take actions that are more aligned with that than their judgments about what they can or can't do, they begin to a process of creation and I'll add co-creation because when we align those things of intention and action, our signal gets so clear that this universe around us, this creative intelligence that despite what it feels like sometimes is actually for us, begins to create synchronicities and opportunities that accelerate our path toward that which was our North Star and is going to be bringing us joy. So I put things in a very, very tight little nutshell there, but I, I hope that begins to kind of answer your question, Jeff, of where do we start with ourselves? Yeah, really nicely, very nicely done. And, and I think when we had our first conversation a couple of weeks ago, we realized that, oh, we could knock these things around for a while because as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking about the experiences that I've had, the things that I've read. What I love is that ideas, concepts, what you're laying out, they came from other places. They came from within you. It's a collection of 
things that you bring to your, you know, to your people, right? To your experience, to your profession. I love the acknowledging, you know, the limiting beliefs, letting them go and creating, you know, having a living, living vision. And what I was thinking of when you were saying that is many, many, many years ago, I went through a business management course and one of the exercises was to write your own eulogy. And, you know, it's quite a process, or at least in that case, it was. Ultimately, what we were aiming to do was to boil it down. How does it unfold when it unfolds the way you'd like? Not unlike when one is writing their own eulogy, which can, as I said, it's a process that you go through. And then you go, okay, well, if that's what you want somebody to say, when when it's all said and done, when this human life experience is over, then, you know, let's do it every day because you get to write it every day. We do. It's every day is a blank page. And even with the living vision, every day is going to be an opportunity to co-create things that have us be able to take one step forward towards the creation of this ideal experience and to understand it too is not a destination. It's a cairn we're looking at on the trail up ahead that guides us to a degree but we're always in a state of in actuality you know the the planet while we do have a true north there's what is more accurate is the magnetic north which is it's in this general direction but it's always moving around a little bit you know, like through a lifetime and and that's similar to us the real beautiful thing here is this is something that you know is one of the key principles in the work i do is this we can have a preference of what we want and that's fine. Like that can in a way help guide us. But if we're holding on to that preference so tightly that we're not letting that incredible creative power that surrounds us to potentially bring in something even better, we're really not serving ourselves. We start like Stephen Covey, we start with the end in mind, but we're not attached to the actual form of that and other than I'm just interested in something that experientially matches my living vision. And that's why, you know, I guide people to say your living vision isn't like a list of achievements or or roles because you already discovered where that got you. It's what's the experience I want to be having in these aspects of my life, the qualitative experience. And so there may be something even stronger. And, you know, this was actually taught very well to me. I, a couple times a year, I, I join a, an organization called Freedom to Choose. And, you know, before COVID, we would go into maximum security prisons and work with, you know, lifer inmates and, and so on and do a lot of this work. And they counsel us and we counsel them. That's the nature of it. And that's how we create real trust in this one inmate named CJ, a woman who was a lifer, maybe even life without parole, I think. And while she's counseling me, while I was kind of working on my own issue around uncertainty about the future and like, what if it's not my preference? Uh Uh-oh, what does that mean? And she said, you know, Kirk, is it okay if I go off this page we're working on? Because I think there's something that's coming through me to tell you. And I said, please. And she said, you know, the divine unknowing, the divine unknowing gives the universe the space to create miracles for us beyond which we could have dreamt, thought, or planned. And that just knocked me over because what CJ gave me in that is a whole reframing of uncertainty. Because I'm so, was so attached to the little preference I first scribbled on a piece of paper, you know, my little stick figure thing of what my purpose needs to look like out in the world. What it meant was that in the infinite amount of possibilities that can come out of that quantum field of potential, there was only one I was going to be happy with. So of course I'm afraid of the unknown. Of course I'm afraid of the future. Whereas what CJ gave me was that unknown gives that intelligence the ability to give you something even more spectacular than that drawing for you. So how about that? And it was like someone just, you know, doused me with 
a big bucket of water and I woke up and realized that I was living for these tiny little ideas of what the, you know, preferences instead of having a general idea of my direction. But like, as soon as something even more glorious popped up along the way to be able to say, Oh, that's even better for me. So quite a, quite an intervention from CJ on, on me and it changed my life. We never know where it's going to come from, do we? Nope. I don't think she did either. She kind of went from one kind of posture in the chair, like we all sit, to all of a sudden her back straightened up and she got brighter and her eyes got clearer. And it was like, you know, she was really getting in contact with that inner compass was awakening in her with that wisdom to share with me. It's a beautiful thing to see when that gets to happen. I think when we started, I said that there's a time in most conversations where it feels like, <laughs> it feels like that's the message. <laughs> Not that we have to stop and, and why it can edit things around and, and, but wow, that's a, that's a mind blower. That's a, that's a mind bender and spectacular. Isn't that like, like a real game changer to realize that thing we fear, that thing that's right beyond the light that we, where we can see is, you know, where wonderful, spectacular surprises that surprise in the good sense of that so trumps whatever I had in mind. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It's a gift. Yeah. It is a gift. And this is where I love to just get into a comfortable groove, a comfortable conversation and just start vibing. And not once did I feel like I need to jump in. I'm along for the ride and I love to vibe in good conversations. And I'm sure plenty of listeners will love what you're doing. Let's talk briefly about where they find you. This is kind of the business part of it. So fire away with where can people find Kirk Souter online and, and what you do professionally and all those good things. You know, everyone's welcome to email me directly, really, if they have a question or, or a follow-up, one of a conversation at Kirk at Enso.co. My website as a, an adjunct to Enso.co, what I'll call the mothership that's doing the, the initiatives with brands. My leadership work is Enso.co slash leadership for impact. Perfect. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes, you know, your website, that piece, you know, kind of the mothership, your social media stuff. So people can find you. And um, I am extremely grateful, Kirk, to you. And I feel like, man, when I go through a, a, a conversation like this, I feel so fortunate, so blessed to be able to sit here, invite people to have a conversation. My goodness, do I benefit. I'm certainly hopeful and optimistic that our listeners out there in the world will benefit and gain a little something and learn a little something and decide to explore a little something new. So what a treasure and what a treat. And I just want to say, I so benefit. I really know that there is no kind of exchange between beings where there isn't an equal learning and value that gets back and forth. And from this conversation, it created even such greater clarity in me you know, your prompts and questions as it, as I was then had to move into myself to answer. So I think your energy and your consciousness, you know, kind of gave me permission to go to some places I might not typically go with some of the business podcasts I do and so on. So I think that's a reflection of your energy and your consciousness. So I just wanted to let you know that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Having a place and creating a space, it's not an interview with the New York Times or, you know, it's you and I just vibing and going where you want to go and where I want to go. And it's a little bit of goalless exploration. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to get someplace. It just goes. Yeah. Which is always the best. It's like, I'm always trying to kind of work with my clients on it's again, you know, I just, I'm a big fan of the Gita, you know? So it's like Krishna telling Arjuna, you know, like, like, stop worrying about the fruits of all of this. It's, it's, that's not your concern. Your concern is just to be in the moment and, and engage in this battle. Not that I'm equating life to a battle, but that was what it was. It's like, 
much more magic can happen when it is a conversation where it's like, you know, it's so important that we end on this or that or that, but just let's just trust the process of inquiry and the universe speaking through us. And that's always where the cool stuff happens. That's, you know, that's no question. No question. That's where the good stuff happens. And like you said, it's not a, there's no need for a sound bite, although there are probably a couple in there if one wanted to try and pull them out, which we don't. But, and I guess that's one of the beauties of podcasting is that you can just have a long form conversation that the guardrails, you know, aren't keeping us strictly on a particular path, which is great. I love it. Plus the, you know, the listener very soon becomes aware of what that path is. And, and then it becomes much less interesting in terms of what's going to happen because to quote CJ, kind of pushing the divine sense of spontaneity and surprise out of it. And this has the viewer going, oh, this could go a lot of different places. That's interesting. I'm going to like, I want to, I want to see it when it happens, you know? <laughs> Kirk. Thank you so much for being on ATBS, the podcast, taking time out of your schedule. I don't love the word busy. You know, you're doing what you love to do. And and I, I think you're doing it really, really well. I appreciate you coming and joining me and then being willing to share yourself out there with the, with the world through ATBS, the podcast. So grateful, appreciative, namaste. I appreciate it. And thank you, Jeff. And thank you for creating a space like your consciousness does create a space that I found to be really safe and open. And that helps me be authentically me. So You're welcome. All right. Peace brother. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode with Kirk Souter. Your interest in and support of ATBS, the podcast means the world to me. Here's to all of us tuning into our deep, authentic energy. Peace.